0: I'm going to introduce you now to Jan Doherty, and she is a nurse expert and a leader in dementia care, crafting award-winning, innovative programs to support people living with dementia and their family caregivers across the continuum of care. She has a new book out called Travel Well with Dementia, Essential Tips to Enjoy the Journey, and this is the first book of its kind. It's very comprehensive. Um, And it assists families and persons living with dementia in terms of planning and executing a successful travel journey. Now, needless to say, that's probably not happening right now, um, that you're actually going to take those steps. But you are going to be able to plan for the future because things will be reopening. So it's a good time to get your homework done. But in the meantime, we are going to be talking with Jan today about making travel timeless. So welcome. Welcome, Jan. How are you doing?
1: Oh, we're doing great out here in Arizona.
0: Well, good. Um, Before we get into our line of questions, I always like to ask every guest if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends.
1: You know, I have not been touched directly by Alzheimer's, although I will tell you that my mother did have a heart attack resulting in 45 minutes of resuscitation, which resulted in global anoxia. So from that, she had sustained significant changes in her memory and thinking abilities. And I, along with my youngest brother, became a care partner for my mother through the rest of her life. And it did Change uh, the way uh, we knew life to be, and yet uh, created new opportunities for us to continue to enjoy my mother to the end. Okay,
0: well, thank you for sharing that. It's always nice for people just to have a little little background, and absolutely. And- um, what's good for dementia is good for the world. And I I feel the same way about, you know, when we give care to, to people, it's applicable in many, many different situations. Um, I want to start out with what the heck do you say to people who were looking forward to a trip and now it's canceled? Now they can't go.
1: Yeah. You know, one, I think is to, to recognize the disappointment and to acknowledge that there's grief associated with that uh, because, uh, I think in many ways we look uh, forward to planning a trip as much as we do enjoying the trip while we're there and revisiting it upon return. So one is acknowledging the loss of the, of the current trip, but then also reframing and thinking about kind of the future that I think we're all looking at. Uh, when might that happen? And isn't it great that we have a kind of a plan in place? And when the time permits us to do so, we will look forward to putting that in place once again. So I think looking forward with hope or even tempering that if we need to, but um, certainly not dashing the dream altogether.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, you know, we should also be grateful that Times have changed that we're not stuck on a cruise ship that can't on board because people are sick or we're stuck in a country we're not familiar with or maybe don't speak the language. I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be um, thankful for, too, you know, that we didn't get pinned in one of those
1: situations. Absolutely. And, and the reality is, even when we do travel and during the best of trips that we have or visits with family and friends, don't we all look forward to coming home to the comfort and uh, routine of home? And so how do we celebrate that and say, you know, isn't it great, though, that we're someplace that's comfortable and familiar until we travel again or until we visit again?
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. What are some of the ways that you've used to help people kind of visit their favorite places and, and people and experiences during this time?
1: Well, I think, you know, um, for me, reframing uh, this was really important as so many of us are um, stuck at home. And so this, these same sort of techniques, if you will, even apply to people who aren't living with dementia or to a chronic uh, condition. But I think there's uh, so many ways that uh, we can do it. You know, one is uh, for many of us, uh, I think we take pictures and with technology, aren't we so fortunate that we carry our pictures with us in our pockets or in our purse. So, and you know, older adults have embraced this same technology. And so it's as easy as getting out our, phone out of our purse or pocket or uh, for those who have put them on a computer or an iPad or even um, for those who still make prints or do photo books, uh, certainly a really quick and easy way to enjoy travel is to uh, look back at those photos and recall the wonderful time and stories that that even uh, accompany that. Now, I realize that... Um, For people with more moderate disease, perhaps the trip took place a year ago and they don't remember that, Uh, the the care partner still has the ability to enjoy that trip and to walk down memory lane with that person, but with the caveat of avoiding specific questions that would make the person living with dementia feel somehow confused about what's happening or feel um, stupid, if you will. Why don't I remember that? So rather, how do we look at these pictures and say, boy, this looks like it was really a fun place to be, or, oh, isn't this beautiful, and allowing more for comments to be made. Oh, isn't that little girl cute? Um, She looks like she's having so much fun. It reminds me of our daughter when she was younger. So again, how do we use this as a way to engage the person In uh, in a discussion that really can be fun and be successful. So, photos are a a terrific way uh, to do that. You know, many of us pick up uh, little souvenirs or momentums along the way as we travel. And uh, again, getting some of these things out can be really helpful. In fact, just the other day, I was dusting my house and I came across a, a little statuette that I purchased uh, while I was in France with my husband and I was immediately transported back to this little town in France and in, in kind of recalling and reliving the story of this gentleman and how he got involved in that. So I think about how these momentum, same thing, can be used. It could be seashells, perhaps, that were picked up on the Jersey Shore during a visit uh, back in the day. And just putting the the seashells in the hands of the person even living with dementia uh, help us to relive a story. Maybe not the way that uh, we recall it, but differently. But, you know, we often experience the same Vacation or the same family visit and we see it in two different perspectives. So there's no right or wrong. It's about uh, the pleasure of of doing um, You know, the other thing I've been really impressed with and uh, something that I've been using more uh, during these COVID times and being shut in mm-hmm. So it's it's just what has become available to us via the web. So, for example, uh, with all the bad news, uh, the TV is mainly off. I don't need to add to my anxiety. And we certainly don't want to add to the anxiety for care partners and people living with dementia. And so through the YouTube channel, we have discovered this litany of places that we can go and through our smart TV, but it could be done through a computer as well. Uh, My husband and I routinely are visiting uh, the Bahamas and Hawaii. We've been in rainforests and we've been in the Sahara Desert and we've watched birds and other wildlife. That really helps not only calm us, but transport us to a place where we almost feel like we're there. know, you think about uh, Hawaii, a favorite location of mine to visit. Uh, Why not grab a glass of iced tea and just enjoy the beauty of being there? So again, now I think about food. How do we use food to, again, revisit uh, a place that uh, was maybe a, f- a familiar place. So, whether it be having a hot dog and talking about our days, having cookouts in Michigan, or whether it be uh, cooking up a paella or ordering out one, even better, and revisiting a great the time we had in Spain, equally produce a wonderful way for us to uh, revisit. Uh, these wonderful memories and places that we've often
0: been. I love when you mention the food. I, there's so many different things, you know, or the smells of the, the, the seashells and stuff. You know, you can smell the ocean, you can hear the ocean, um, you know, all the little that we that we purchase, you know, that are little remembrances. But I think a lot of people, too, have um, many photos from older trips, especially mm-hmm. older adults, and they might have them in uh, even in a carousel you know a slideshow or something Mm -hmm. that could be pulled out if they still have a projector or there are ways that those can be converted into new technology as well Um, and and I loved when you talked about the you know the travel channels and the YouTube access I mean it's it's unlimited or if somebody just wants to be in a rainforest or out on a beach or whatever, you can find all those types of things or music would be another mm-hmm, thing to listen mm-hmm. to the different types of music to the, you Absolutely. know, different places that you went to um, in, in travel. Um, or even I suppose transportation, you know, you could get pull up pictures of, You know, subway cars or a carriage in New York, if you're going through Central Park, or you know, maybe you're going hiking. But a lot there's so much out there to just get the conversation going, and it's not about controlling the conversation. It's just letting the conversation go where it is, and um, letting their memories, you know, come out, however, however they might be, because. You know, I mean, you can ask any police officer, we all see different things. (laughs) You know, um, no matter what it is we're doing, we all believe everyone sees and remembers exactly as we do, but we don't. And, And so it's good to hear those other sides of of, you know what people are are remembering there
1: and I would add to that you know as we reminisce uh, for both the person living with dementia and us as care partners it makes us feel good reminiscence is, is really good for the soul and good for the spirit and our well-being so to have uh, you know even 15 minutes a day where we can revisit a trip or this doesn't matter if it's as we know the same trip over and over and over again because it's that emotional memory that we're really trying to encourage and embrace and enjoy and um, leave us both in a better place uh, to face the day ahead.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, you know, when you had said for yourself, you don't have the TV on that much. And I think that that is really important nowadays with people with dementia because the anxiety um, can just go through the roof. I mean, people's anxieties are, are you know, skyrocketing as it is but you have some cognitive difficulties that can't even put things into perspective. You know, it can really be a dangerous thing. And so making, making a very conscious effort about what, what is being seen and what is being shown. And not that you can't turn on the travel channel, you know, or, you know, do different, there's, I mean, there's all different types of places to go or a cooking show even um, with with different angles there. Um, What are some ways to include a person living with dementia in travel? Because I know we've probably got some people here that I hear this all the time from care partners, well, I still want to travel. You know, where we can still travel, of course we can still travel, and then they get there and go, oh my gosh, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that, you know, to happen.
1: Um, Do you have some tips for people on that? Yeah, so I think, you know, taking a realistic view at what the situation is now becomes really important. In fact, in my book, I talk a lot about planning, really thinking through, you know, where are we going and how long are we going to be there? And how does my loved one do when they're out of the familiarity of their home? And will we be going in a place that Can we can support, uh, you know, my loved one's routine that's going to keep them comfortable? If we're planning to go to a family event or reunion, you know, will we even know the people that (laughs) that they're going to be seeing on the other end? Because if it creates more anxiety or discomfort for them, or perhaps there's going to be a bunch of children and the children make noise as children do, but it's upsetting to your loved one. Those become really important things for family members to have to really assess and understand. And so I think, um, you know, we have to think about it differently rather than looking back at what we've known travel to be. We have to look forward to travel and what it's going to be now. I often find that um, family, the, the primary caregiver often has more of a realistic perspective on what travel uh, is going to look like. But unfortunately, it's others, and particularly family and friends, who don't have the same understanding of where the person is right now in the course of their illness, and what their, not only their strengths are, but what some of the challenges are. And so they tend to often minimize, oh, come on, you know, dad's not that bad, you can make the trip, oh, we'll help you, and yet uh, the the wife doesn't fully communicate uh, to her adult children. Here's how I need your help. And so they arrive and uh, the children don't know how to help, don't think to help. And things can go from bad to worse in, in pretty short order. So that really thinking through um, what, what do we want to happen? Uh, and then another tip is to think um, on your person's worst day, how is it you're going to manage this whether you're at sea or whether um, you know you're staying with your daughter and her family what's that going to look like and will you be able to handle it and how will you handle it and who are you going to enlist to help you so I think if we if we factor that in not to be because I don't like to be negative I tend to be a very optimistic uh, person but I think it It adds a touch of realism to think about, yeah, on those bad days, how how am I going to manage that? What's it going to look like? Can I speak up? Can I opt out of something? Will I get the kind of help I need from those around me to be successful in helping my husband or my mother, whatever the situation might be?
0: Yeah, and it's, it's hard to know because sometimes we plan a trip and it might be six, nine months down the road or even a year mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. things can change and progress. And so knowing what kind of protection you have to get out of the trip, if that would happen. I know for some people um, with, with early onset have said, you know, we don't do the hotel thing anymore. If we're, if we're in the U.S., we go by motorhome. Because then I go back every night to the same place, mm-hmm. and it's not as disturbing. It's not as confusing. Everything is always in the same place, and there's great comfort in that. Versus the anxiousness of, where's the bathroom? Where's the closet? Is this our room? Where are my clothes? You know, I just all those little things. Um, I've heard people, in terms of you know, just for planning too. Um, in terms of how much rest does somebody need? What kind of snacks do they need? Are you going to need, are, is there possible toileting issues? Maybe there isn't, but maybe you still need to be prepared in case that could change, you know, over the realm or medications. Um, you know, we had, uh, I did a dementia friendly cruise and we had uh, a couple of people ended up with urinary tract infections. Mm-hmm. Well, that can get a little difficult on a cruise ship. And one person did really fine and another person didn't respond to the medication at all. And, you know, didn't want to be with her. um, She did not want to be with her husband of 45 years. She did Mm -hmm. not remember him as that person. And so, you know, it it got really complicated really quick and, you know, Things like that can happen. We don't like to think about them, but I've heard of people even going to, let's say they go to Florida every year and they've got a condo there. Well, we've always done this. This will be fine. And then all of a sudden they realize it's it's not so fine anymore.
1: Right. Well, we certainly see a lot of that in a Sunbelt state and being a retirement area. We have many uh, communities where, whether they be RV communities or where perhaps somebody has a small condo, and the thought is, yeah, they'll be absolutely fine even if we bring our RV, but the reality is it often signifies that things have changed, and now this sort of added change is adding stress to the person and adding greater confusion. I have one husband... um, tell me that he had, uh, they had moved actually from Colorado to Arizona to be closer to the daughter, and they decided the summers were so hot, they were going to rent a place uh, in the mountains, and so they did, but his wife was living with Lewy body dementia, which we know can be accompanied by both delusions and hallucinations, and by day three, she was announcing that Uh, Someone had called and inquired to rent this place they were at, and she was going to show it to him. And so for the next three days, of course, he understood that this was her illness, but she was perseverative about it and clearly uncomfortable. They decided that uh, the trip was over and uh, the mountains were not going to be. It was time to go home. So I think... Also, I think for partners coming to a realization, to a realistic expectation in terms of what works and what doesn't work, and having that plan B um, becomes so imperative, whether it just be a plan B for the day or a plan B for the entire trip, that um, they're going to need to pull the trigger, but that, importantly, it doesn't make them a failure. In fact, good for you. You had a plan B. You thought this through. Yep. And it signifies just a change in the condition and how we're going to think about living life and, and moving forward and what, what might that look like.
0: Yeah, well, even with uh, TSA, people going through if you're on a, on a flight, you know, where, where's the best place to be positioned? Uh, you know, window, middle, aisle roll, close to the bathroom, close to an exit, you know, all of those little things um, can come into, can
1: come into play.
0: Let's talk um while we can a little bit about your your book.
1: Yeah, so I, I you know I'm really delighted that I've had this opportunity to work on this book. Um, you know, as a nurse working in uh dementia care for many, many years, one of the concerns I've always had is is hearing uh stories of travel run amok for individuals living with dementia and their families and always felt like you know, it it is possible to make travel successful. We just have to accommodate. And there's a lot of brief things that are written, but nothing particularly comprehensive. So I really wanted to begin to break that down. So we looked at, you know, people really understanding why does the, the illness of dementia, if you will, impact how people are able to travel successfully or not? And how is it we navigate around those differences uh, so that success could be found? And how do we think about lodging and cruising and flying and packing a suitcase and um, thinking through the safety kinds of concerns? And so I I took kind of a, a simplistic approach to it, if you will, from a 10 tips perspective that I really tried to provide the Top tips that a caregiver or a person living with dementia could use to make travel a bit more seamless and uh, much more likely to be successful. Because I do feel travel and visits uh, likewise uh, in that can be successful when we're preparing the parties uh, that are involved. Yeah, I
0: I totally agree, and I found your book um, laid out really well. Lots of helpful helpful information, and I know, um, and I think you've been in touch with uh, Sarah Barcel from our Rose yes, yes. Group and yeah. um, all of our travel documents that we pulled together in there as well. There's there's so much to learn and so much that we can share with one another because, like I said, you know we did this dementia friendly cruise and. I was shocked because people with dementia were up early and they stayed up late. They were so engaged and the care partners were thrilled to meet other people that were, you know, basically dealing with the same thing. And there was this sense of comfort, you Mm -hmm. know, to be able to gather as a group. And that was really a nice, nice thing to, to be able to see and to sense for them. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, this idea of building on strengths and possibilities. And you know, while while uh, Alzheimer's disease related dementia does change memory and thinking abilities. It doesn't change a person's soul and spirit, right? To be there. And so I think it draws upon the best of of many individuals to rise to the occasion to be present and to enjoy. And sometimes I wonder if we limit uh, the possibilities for people as we're trying to be protective, and yet that translates into paternalism, unfortunately, where we don't see the person get to really be and enjoy all that uh, possibly could happen. So, um, I think we have to uh, certainly go in uh, with great preparation, but with great hopefulness that we're going to succeed as well and adapt along the way and learn.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, the dampers put on because people don't want to fail, you know, and they don't personally want to be disappointed because they're looking forward to this trip as well. Um, I know we went on a family cruise. This was a year, gosh, this was 25 years ago with my folks, my dad had brain cancer, my mom had dementia. And I have two brothers and and their families all came. But I was pretty much the one that stayed with mom and dad and got them ready. And we adapted to do different things than what my my brother's families were able to do, because maybe it was just a little too active or a little too noisy. But, But we all had a great time. You know, and people said, "Well, didn't you miss out?" And I'm like, "No, I I had a whole nother experience. It was very valuable to me, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you know, totally enjoyed it. So, um, you know, it depends on you know, are you going for yourself? Are you going for the greater good? Or are you going to serve the the one person or two people that that you're caring for? Um, you know, it, and have that in in your mind because I again I think the the gift of caring well and exploring um, different things with somebody with dementia. I mean, that's, those are pretty strong memories. I know for me that I I wouldn't give any of them up, not a one.
1: I think, you know, a lot is, is uh, resetting expectations about what constitutes a successful trip and rather even than looking at the whole of the trip can we look at moments where we found success and where we took we took joy in seeing our person fully engaged in that moment and and having a wonderful time so and and when the trip doesn't go as as well as we expected again how can we take stock realistically to give ourselves credit for trying and seeing what we learned from this and what we might Uh, do differently or how it might help signal to us that maybe this chapter has closed uh, for my loved one and I to do this sort of travel now and rethinking then about how do I though continue to travel, for example, to see uh, grandchildren that means so much to me, right? So allowing yourself then to think through what might those next steps look like and how will I plan this in the future, I've had many family caregivers that I've worked with over the years where travel indeed did come to an end for their loved one, but they gave themselves permission to stay connected, particularly to family and friends. I mean, we're we're not talking leisure travel, although I've had care partners do leisure travel as well because it restored their well-being so that they could go further, uh, you know, as a daily care partner for the for the person they loved. But I think those become milestones as well. And we should give ourselves credit for, um, for looking at that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. And there is, you know, respite, you know, for people who still feel that need, um, you know, to, to do the leisure travel or that want to stay connected to maybe out of town family and friends um, there's many many ways to work it, and, and mm-hmm. even now we have Zoom, you know, where right, people that right. feel is much of a need to go physically, that they can still. I, I think there's the door opening through this whole COVID thing in terms of connection. But again, Absolutely. I
1: think yeah. I
0: think travel is very um, very important and fruitful um, and fulfilling to to so many. What do you want people to take away from you know in your book itself?
1: So I think I want them to take away that um, they should give themselves permission to explore uh, what travel is going to look like for them, and take some active steps to making it happen. And uh, recognizing that most travel never goes the way uh, we expect it. I have yet to ever have a seamless trip, if you will, but we don't throw the baby out with the backwater that we try anyways. And, you know, one of the things I often recommend is taking a staycation. And um, just trying a little mini trip, if you will, in your own community where you can come home at night if it doesn't work. So you can see how your loved one's gonna do in a hotel or you can see how they're gonna do uh, as you're eating out, you know, your couple meals a day or taking in a local museum or park or whatever that might be that you choose to do. That's a terrific way to start and assess how is this gonna work. Or, uh, you know, engaging others. I I write a lot about trying to find a companion, uh, realistically assessing, would it be helpful for a companion to come along? And then how do you choose a companion? So I have a whole chapter that's dedicated on on, uh, choosing a companion, whether you choose an adult grandchild to join along, or perhaps one of your adult children, or you hire someone. What does that look like? But I think, again, even communicating expectations on how that person can be helpful to you and your loved one is so incredibly important. I've had so many, um, particularly wives, who have asked a grandchild, if you will, to join them, but then they don't uh, communicate expectations on what it is they want. And so the grandchild enjoys a first-class trip to wherever in a wonderful, you know, cruise, and yet the grandparent comes back all upset. And then I say, well, did you tell them what you expected? You know, in the sense of, well, they should know, well, they don't know. Yeah. And so it, you know, unfortunately I always feel bad in that so much pressure is put on a family caregiver to have to do so much and know so much. And here I'm saying, yes, and you're going to have to communicate over communicate what it is you need uh, to be successful in what you're, your loved one needs in order to be supported. But um, it's so important uh, to communicate. And I hope that this book provides a a method uh, to make that happen. So um I, I did create a tool too, just realistically. Um I call it travel's ability. How do we look at the ability? And a geriatrician friend of mine called it the travel activities of daily living. And that too becomes a way to uh reconcile, oh, I guess my family member can't pack a suitcase, right? And and that even becomes a way to understand or gee, when we go out to eat, um he often says, I'll have what she's having, that maybe I'm putting them in a situation where it's just too demanding, and I have to uh, have to modify what I was thinking about. So it really, I hope people walk away saying, yeah, I've got some new tools. I feel pretty confident uh, about what I'm about to do, and I'm going to embark on this trip, and I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to come home and take stock
0: wonderful now you have a um a few favorite sites and resources for people
1: um to use if they're traveling do you mind stating a I, couple
0: of those? i do
1: and in fact i um saw so my on my website which is uh travels uh t-r-a-v dot com i've written my uh april blog actually on timeless travel and i list many of them so you can go there but if you are a fan of Europe, and many people have traveled Europe extensively, I love Rick Steves Europe. He's a PBS guy. And not only can you watch it on PBS, but uh, if you just Google Rick Steves Europe's, you can have access to 100 free 30-minute episodes from across Europe. And I love that just because of the amount of time, right? 30 minutes is probably just enough and it's not so littered with verbiage that it takes away from the beauty of the scenery. So one could almost mute uh, Rick's narration and still enjoy maybe a favorite place uh, that you have visited. Um, I also love National Geographic. So if you just go to the National Geographic uh, site, and you put in travel shows, actually, it takes you to endless possibilities from around the world. You could go to Mozambique, for example, (laughs) a place maybe you never thought uh, you wanted to visit, but it might pique your interest, and uh, maybe you're seeing some animals that even emote different discussion, right? Because part of it is how do we freshen it up throughout the course of the day? Right now, the days are just endlessly long, I think, uh, uh, for all of us. Uh, I mentioned the YouTube nature videos, which are great, but the National Park Service. Again, if you Google National Park Service, uh, it will take you to a variety of parks where you can do virtual tours. So you can go to Yosemite, for example, and go see El Capitan Uh, you can go and look at some of the wildlife that exists in some of these natural uh, or or national parks that are Quite amazing. And then if you're a person who loves the zoo, uh, my favorite is is the San Diego Zoo, which has tremendous possibilities, uh, but they all have webcams now, so you can watch the penguins or the pandas or, you know, whatever kind of floats your boat. And to me, the, the added benefit is you don't have the crowds uh, joining you. Uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, too, has a very robust website with multiple webcams throughout uh, the aquarium. So whether, it, again, you want to look at the penguins when they're being fed or if you want to look at the, uh, the octopus uh, floating about, uh, really quite uh, lovely as well as picturesque and very calming as well. And then uh, for those who love museums, um, right now, we've got 2,500 museums from across the world who have created virtual access for us. So I've yet to do this, but when I went to um, Rome and went through the Vatican Museum, I would say that was the trip from hell, from my perspective, quite honestly. You know, wall-to-wall people, but now I have the ability to go visit the Sistine Chapel, without uh, 300 people being crammed in, right? So this ability for us to take advantage of some of these sites that let us revisit, if you will, uh, or visit for the first time in a way that we can control it in the doses that we can control it without all the external overstimulation that goes with these visits can be uh, quite, quite wonderful.
0: Wow, <clears throat> that was great. A great, great list uh, for people. Uh, so thank you so much, Chan. I'm i really, uh, like I said, I, I adore your book. I think it is something that will help so many families. And I love your idea of the the stay vacation. You know, just go locally, check it out, see how it goes. Um, you can avoid a lot of things and, and gain a lot of insights, you know, that will allow you um, to adapt ahead of time and be prepared. Right, right. You know, things.
1: and the same could be said if if you want to do air travel, and you've not taken on air travel. Um, you know, clearly airports, and you know now COVID uh, is going to change that. I think for a while, so it might be actually a great time to fly without oversold flights. But airports uh, can be quite stressful, and people living with dementia and care partners often say that the security process TSA is the most stressful. So sometimes just even if, if you live in a location where you can plan to do like an hour long flight and do a turnaround trip in the day or take your staycation. For example, it's an hour flight from Phoenix to San Diego. Perhaps you want to try a, a brief trip to San Diego, uh, get a hotel Uh, Locally there and then come back the next day. It's a great way to assess uh, how would your person do before you fly across country or even, uh, you know, transcontinental. I think those also are nice trial runs that are relatively inexpensive. Um, be more inexpensive, I think, as we start the country back up. But a great time and a great way to assess, boy, before I commit to a 14-hour flight, uh, you know, with multiple stops, how is my loved one even going to do when they get up in the air? You know, is there going to be a lot of anxiety? Yeah. So I think those are opportunities as well.
0: Yeah, and I think in trying to, you know, typically if you can get a nonstop flight, for wherever you're going if it's longer versus, well, I can get it cheaper for doing this, but it might not be worth the wear and tear on the body and the mind
1: uh, yeah. for both of <laughs> you. Yeah. Very, very much so. One of the things I do speak quite a bit about, so I have three chapters just on flying simply because it's, it's a third of all travel is having to get on an airplane whether you want to or not. But I think it becomes really important, Uh, in this case, I would, for people living with dementia, planning a trip, especially if you're not web savvy, I would really suggest calling the airline directly or a travel agent who has some special needs kind of certification, simply because most of us uh, will choose to fly by price rather than by the person's best time of the day. The other is that, uh, you know, many people don't realize that people living with dementia and their care partners do have access to disability services. And I have to tell you, there is no standard in the industry that spells out how is it you find that. So you find uh, keywords either available, but oftentimes not, they're hidden. So uh, you have to go to accessibility. So some of the terms that get used, would not at all be familiar, or special needs, uh, or sometimes they'll call it senior travel. So it's interesting how it's labeled or not labeled. I'll tell you the cruise industry, um, there, I would say over half of the the cruise lines that I have looked at provide no portal for special needs or, or accommodations of services. So then how as a family member do I even think about let alone have access to the accessibility that it should have for me, you know I'm really um delighted to see that the uh in the in the autism world that uh, there is this openness to autism friendly ships and cruising and and airlines, but there seems to be some hesitation with wanting to move towards this dementia friendly sort of accessibility, and yet the parallels are more like than not, if you will, in terms of the ac- kinds of accommodations mm-hmm. that children living with, uh, you know, a processing issue uh, will have as uh, as a, an adult who is living with dementia. But I do think, um, you know, a calling directly to an airline or even to a cruise line and having a very con- candid conversation comp- conversation, especially with an accessibility staff member can make a difference too. And in determining how can they really help assist you with uh, services you might not have been aware of.
0: Well, even just getting a wheelchair or driven, you know, from one spot to another because it it can wear and tear on people. And if you have that easy, easy access, and most of them have that, but it again, it's figuring out how, how to find it. I'm working with an international group that's trying to pull that together and, We've kind of slowed down a little bit right now with everything going on, um, but still having conversations. But it's hard to get all—you have all the different countries, and then you have all the different airlines, and you know every airport is run independently, and right. so it's—it's yeah. not—it's uh, not an easy thing to wrap a hold of. But there's a lot of neat things you know that are happening out there.
1: There are. In fact, one of the things that's happening uh, in the Phoenix area, I've been talking with them about a dementia-friendly airport since obviously the dementia-friendly community movement is, is going strong here in Arizona as well. And they have implemented the lanyard system that actually came out of the UK and Australia. So it's this bright lime green lanyard that uh, families will apply for. 72 hours in advance is what happens here in Arizona. And our lanyard is a lime green with uh, saguaro cacti Mm -hmm. on it. But when you get to the airport, uh, you pick up your lanyard or they'll meet you uh, when you check in to give you your lanyard. And they have educated airport employees to denote that when someone of NEH comes through with this lanyard, it means that be prepared to slow your communication, put a smile on your face, answer the question like you've never heard it before, right? It's like the first time you've heard it. Be prepared to slowly repeat instructions individuals one person at a time so I think there is movement happening in the industry and I think there's opportunity for those of us in the dementia field to um, benefit from some of the work that's been done in the autism field but I think we have to really advocate look that these are consumers um, they have money they want to travel many of them are able to travel you know they immediately equate dementia to a person who is wheelchair bound, profoundly confused and living in a nursing home. And I'll say, no, but you're passing up on often five very robust years that people do have the capability to travel and travel well when we support them to be successful. And we play a role in that.
0: Yeah, well, and some of them get upset. They're like, "Well, if I get services now, now I can't walk. They're making me either be in a wheelchair or drive me someplace, and I'm okay to do that, mm-hmm. you know. And so they get a little frustrated too. It's like I'm either all or nothing. There's not right. a between um status quo. And you know what I've told them is, you know, they're trying to help and they're trying to get you there as fast as they can. You know, because you're not the only one that that needs that. And so you know, when they're trying to be economical in terms of staffing and volunteers that are helping with all of this, they have to look at the numbers that they're trying to process as well. And so um, is as difficult as it might be, smile and, and thank God you're you're gonna get through the process a little bit quicker. Right. Or, and you might have some more time to to relax, you know, once you're at the gate or whatever.
1: So, many people don't know, but TSA, for all the hassle they get, they do have a wonderful program called TSA Cares. And now, not every airport will have these passenger support specialists, but again, when a person living with dementia or a care partner call in, uh, they recommend 48 to 72 hours ahead of time, you'll talk to a TSA Cares agent who will take the information and who will assist you to the extent that they can. But um, they will actually walk people through as well. So not every situation means that you're gonna be put in a wheelchair and rolled through. So I think part is how do we begin to advocate for ourselves and for the people that we love in a way because really we are catching up and we're trying to inform uh, an, an industry that uh, also is ill-informed about a condition that requires additional assistance. But boy, look where they've come with supporting wheelchair users and people who are quadriplegic. It's amazing what the industry has done to step up to support wheelchair users, to support our autistic community. And now I think this next movement is how do we get them to really support uh, those who are living with dementia who may need a wheelchair and may be just fine walking through. Yes. Exactly,
0: and they can get on the air, airplane earlier too. You know, Absolutely. they don't know why, and so, you know, sometimes people don't want to because then they feel like I'm embarrassed, people are going to look at me, and it's just like if it
1: makes it easier, go
0: for it, you know.
1: Right, go well, these it. are, you know, it's a hidden disability, and I think as we look at, you know, dementia friendly communities are, to me, all about the expansion of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Of, So we've accommodated now for people with physical disability, how do we begin to accommodate for people who are living with cognitive disabilities, right? Memory and thinking disabilities. And they too need accommodation and support. And as we educate and advocate, I think we're going to see tremendous strides being made in that area, which will hopefully make travel better for so more many uh, individuals in our country and around the world.
0: Yep great Well, thank you so much for taking this time with us uh, today, Jan. Do you want to give people your website again and any other contacts? Yes, yes,
1: please. I would love for you to visit my website where I, I'm continuing to add uh, practical tools for caregivers and people living with dementia and resources. It's T-R-A-V-A-L-Z dot com. So it sounds like travels. So travels.com. And uh, Bill, you'll find uh, hopefully a lot of resources that will be helpful uh, for you as well as a link if you'd like to purchase my book, uh, again, called Travel Well with Dementia, Essential Tips to Enjoy the Journey. So I, I hope that this will be useful for many of you and that you can find the help and the hope you need to move forward to make travel possible.
0: Great. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, Jan. Thank you. Well, I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. Um, I hope you found it valuable. I know I sure learned a lot from Jan, and um, I highly recommend you getting her book. And if you're looking for additional resources, go to alzheimerspeaks.com. There we have projects and initiatives. If you're looking for training and development programs, um, keynotes, we do all of that. Um, under the projects and initiatives, you'll also find out about dementia chats, which are videos that I record with people who have dementia and they tell us what they would like life to be like and what we can do to better serve them. And uh, we also have uh, Dementia Quick Tips, uh, the Purple Angel Project, uh, the radio show. You can access so much there. So, anyways, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Stay safe, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show.